Hello there and welcome to TWM, the podcast of the Scottish Football Monitor, asking the questions the mainstream media will not ask, right here at sfm.scot. Hello, I'm John Cole and it's been a while since we've published a new episode of TWM. The reasons for that have been mainly logistical due to my own personal and work commitments and the fact that we don't exactly, sadly, have a queue of people able to produce the shows. All that despite the fact that we now have better technology, uh, a production technology that is available to use. Uh, Hopefully, though, those issues are now behind us and we can move on to a new regular slot with that new technology in place. This episode, since it's been a wee while, we thought we'd ask our go-to footy guy, David Lowe, for his take on recent events in the world of football politics, administration and finance. We'll also be doing a quick round-up of the weekend's uh, football and, of course, uh, the new Linen Gate. Hi there. Uh, since we've been away, uh, so much has transpired uh, that it's been hard to keep up. Litigation to the nth degree surrounding the old and new versions of Rangers and the new club's chairman, Dave King. Football authorities who just can't seem to get it right, whether the issue is governance, applying the rules fairly to everyone, uh, or the basic and fundamental act of arranging football matches. We also have a refereeing service that is so poor, and yet nothing is ever, ever done about it. But first of all, uh, let's have a, a, a quick look at the weekend action. Well, the league table is evolving rapidly of late, partly due to Celtics apparently coming out of their self-induced early season coma. They edged to within a point of hearts at the top with a game in hand after a comfortable and impressive 5-0 win against the Jam Tarts at Celtic Park. Both sides were missing key players, but perhaps Celtic's depth of squad and their ability to afford to maintain it, so two rather mismatched sides in the day. Rangers toiled a bit in Paisley against St Mirren for long periods, but two late goals from Candeas and Morelos took all three points, and the leap into third place for the Light Blues. Aberdeen, after their Maralbus in the League Cup semi-final win against Rangers last week, again won against the run of play, this time at Kilmarnock who remain in 4th place just behind Rangers on goal difference. Aberdeen are now 7th with a bullet, as they say in the US. Hibbs' long undefeated run came to an end at home against St Johnson, who continue to impress despite their financial constraints, and the Saintees are now 5th, with Hibbs falling just behind them in 6th. Dundee's miserable season continued with a defeat to Motherwell, and Hamilton managed a very useful victory against the early pace setters Livingston. Last week saw a recurrence of the dark side of our game. During the Hibs Hearts derby at Tynecastle in midweek, Neil Lennon was hit by a missile thrown by a fan. The Hearts goalkeeper's Denix Lamal was hit with a ball and punched by another fan. Both assistant referees were also hit by missiles thrown from the crowd. And yesterday, Paisley Rangers forward Alfredo Morelos was also hit by a missile thrown from the crowd. We all love football, we're all passionate about it, about our clubs, about incidents in the field of play. But the game can only thrive if we all understand that this is exactly what it is, a game. 
The game cannot continue as a spectator sport if spectators look to vent tribal frustrations by means of violence on people who are doing the job of entertaining them. For the avoidance of any doubt, there is no excuse, zero, zip, for anyone to throw a missile or a punch or a racial or sectarian slur in the direction of a footballer or manager or coach or official who are simply doing their job. The old he brings it on himself is the same ridiculous and outdated argument as that of a rape victim dressing provocatively, in inverted commas. Turning it on its head, when Eric Cantona lashed out violently at a fan years ago, nobody excused his behaviour because the fan was baiting him. That was absolutely correct. There was no excuse. Decent folk don't want to be associated with this kind of behaviour. Both Neil Lennon and Alfredo Morelos are deeply unpopular individuals with fans of rival clubs, and an unpopularity which is usually associated with their success with their own clubs. They both deserve to go about their business without fear of violence. The fact that we have to underline that exposes deep flaws in a media narrative that gives airtime and column inches to the brings it on himself mantra. It's Donald Trump's bad people in both sides argument. It's nonsense. In the last couple of weeks, the two major clubs in the country, Celtic and Rangers, have published accounts. And as usual, the, the spin in the press has been working feverishly away to try and dress up uh, accounts one way or the other. We thought we'd try to get to the bottom of it uh, in as objective a manner as we possibly could by speaking to David Lowe, who was an advisor to Fergus McCann during his time at Celtic. I spoke to David on Sunday, and here's what he had to say. David... The talk over the past uh, couple of weeks has been the, uh, the the accounts of the two big uh, Glasgow clubs, Celtic and Rangers, and I, I suppose there's a general feeling in Scottish football that uh, that, that finances are being well handled at, at most clubs, but obviously with the, with the largest two clubs posting their accounts so close to one another, that a, a bit of comparison is is probably in order. Well, yeah, it is the time of year, you know, when. Football clubs UK-wide uh, start producing their uh, accounts for the football season that ended, you know, in May. So you have to get these out within nine months of your year end, and uh, they all usually start to come out now. So the ones that uh, SFM would uh, imagine uh, is interested in are, you know, Celtic and Rangers being the two uh, largest football clubs, and they have both come out in the last few weeks or so. So let's look at the Rangers stuff first because the, 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 there are so many complexities involved with, with uh, Rangers accounts. There are so many variables uh, which uh, are dependent on uh, the, their success or, or failure or, or whatever. Uh, what, what's the headline figures, do, do you think, from the Rangers accounts? Well, the first figure that uh, anybody always looks at, irrespective of whether it's a football club or a chemical company, is uh, how much turnover took place in the year. And in Rangers' instance, the the number is uh, 32 million, which is which is the second highest in Scotland, uh, but still well short of Celtic, you know, which uh, crossed 100 million for the first time. So uh, that's the, far, the first yardstick, if you're talking about two Glasgow teams, the first yardstick that you'll look for. And you'll basically find that uh, Celtic are turning over, generating 
in the course of uh, the last football season three times more money uh, than Rangers did. You then look at what uh, they did with it, how they spent it, if you like. Uh, and you know, at the end of the year, Celtic had made a profit uh, from trading and from player sales. And the inverse was true at Rangers. They made a loss, a record loss, of around $14 million. So uh, that's the second number that most people look at, or most analysts look at, irrespective of what business is concerned. And then you usually look at balance sheets, you know, and the state of the balance sheet. Uh, and in Celtic's interest, uh, instance, uh, you know, it's pretty healthy, cash in the bank, uh, and no debt. Uh, and uh, in Rangers' instance, again, the opposite is true. So on a, a straightforward compare and contrast basis, you know, Celtic are in a far more strong financial position uh, than Rangers or any other club in Scotland for that matter. And uh, I suppose the notable point is that the gap between the two, irrespective of whether you start talking about new clubs and old clubs, uh, has never been wider. The gap, the financial gap at least, which is not necessarily the football gap, but the financial gap between the two clubs has never in the history of the two clubs been as wide as it is just now. If if you look at Rangers' losses, I mean, they they, they certainly seem to have sustained losses through, throughout the lifetime of the 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 club uh, since two thousand and twelve, and it, it just seems to me as a layperson that 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 cannot go on. But yet, I've been saying that I think for the past three or four years, it still goes on. Well, it can go on if uh, somebody or somebody's you know want to continually uh, finance uh, the losses which is the case at Rangers. Uh, but it's not very sensible to do it, is it? It doesn't really matter what walk of life you're in or what business you're in. Nobody you know, should sensibly or, uh, or willfully be in the business, uh, and football is a business, of uh, making losses year in, year out. You, know, you usually have an end game. Uh, but the end game at Rangers is not clear if indeed there is one. So, on the face of it, you know, it's quite a surreal situation to uh, willfully, and I think it is willfully, because they say as much, or the directors or the chairman said as much, that the current business model is to spend more than they earn, lose money on the basis that uh, eventually they'll start generating more money and, you know, things will start to improve. But at this moment in time, there's nothing to... There's nothing visible uh, to see that that objective is being achieved. Well, I suppose that's the old speculate to accumulate theory, isn't it? But but then again, that that is, as I said earlier, that that's what they've been telling us since 2013. I, I don't see where where did they say it themselves? Wait, wait a minute, it's time for us to walk away from this and get somebody in who knows uh, how to run the club properly because. Again, the inference from my perspective is that obviously with continued losses, they don't appear to know how to run the club. Well, you know, you know they do say that the business model uh, is to uh, spend more than they earn to make losses on the basis that you know they will get European football or Champions League football and uh, the riches that that brings and the, the profits that that brings, all the benefits that basically Celtic are... 
have more often than not enjoyed in the last few years. You know, Rangers would like to uh, get that as well. But it, but it's also relevant, you know, that uh, only one there's only three d- domestic trophies to be won in Scotland. Uh, only one of which, you know, provides an entry route into the riches, you know, that Rangers aspire to in the Champions League. And in order to uh, to have a chance of of getting that, you have to win the league. And in order to win the league, you know, you have to be uh, familiar with what's going on around you, and you have to be aware that uh, you know the biggest club in Scotland, you know, has, which is Celtic, you know, has a vastly uh, uh, bigger you know budget to spend on players uh, than Rangers do. So you know what they seek to do is extremely difficult to achieve because if you have more money it doesn't guarantee success but it certainly improves the likelihood of success. So I think Rangers face the same problems in Scotland as Celtic do in Europe. You know, Celtic can't spend as much as Paris Saint-Germain and even the German clubs uh, and uh, they're at an economic disadvantage uh, in the European arena. Well, you know, Rangers are basically a, a, a severe economic disadvantage to Celtic in, in, in the domestic arena just as all the other clubs are at an economic disadvantage to Rangers and and Celtic. So money's not the only thing, uh, but it's the most important thing because more money tends to get you better players and uh, better coaches and a better manager. So it's a substantial uh, advantage that Celtic have over Rangers to an extent, like I said earlier, that has not been seen before in the history of the club or the clubs. One of the the the, the ways that Rangers, I think, tried to bridge that gap was was this recent share issue, uh, which has been talked about for for a long time. And uh, yeah, I think that's obviously understandable. It's a legitimate way of raising money uh, to try and put the club in a, in a secure footing. But what uh, what I'm interested in uh, about that is that it appears to have gone ahead despite this takeover panel ruling. Uh, which Dave King still hasn't complied with to make an offer for all of the shares in the club. Why? Why do you think that the takeover panel uh, allowed that that share issue to go ahead, or or were they powerless to prevent it? Well, probably the most notable situation with the takeover panel is they've never come across anybody like uh, the Rangers chairman before, and there has never been a situation like this before i.e. it's never happened before. So there's no precedent uh, to draw upon. Nobody really sort of says the takeover panel de facto. Uh, Dave King didn't actually say this, but this is what it looks like. You know, get lost, don't really care what you think, this is what I'm doing. That's what it looks like. So they, they every time their uh, role in uh, corporate governance uh is the challenge they they're they're having to go to court and get their opinion backed up by a a legal ruling uh at each stage and the situation with the takeover panel is still unresolved uh, normally uh messing about with the takeover panel would be uh anathema to professional investors they wouldn't touch a company that's uh challenging the authority or or uh, blatantly uh, ignoring what the panel wants it to do. They wouldn't normally touch such a company like that as a barge pole, with a barge pole, sorry. But uh, in Rangers' instance, uh, there aren't really any 
professional, what you would call professional investors left, or the only ones that are there are ones that are sort of stuck there or can't sell their shares because nobody wants to buy them. Uh, it's, it's a strange situation, so it's a, but it's an unresolved situation. Nobody really knows how it will pan out, other than I'm pretty sure at the end of the day the, the takeover panel will, will have their way. There's there's also been a lot of of, of a chat uh, recently in SFM about the about the number of court cases that both the old club and the new club have been involved in over the past uh, seven or eight years, and uh, somebody actually did a did a count of them, and uh, and, and if you exclude the peripheral cases like the. Uh, uh, the cases against the Crown Prosecution Service uh, from the the former Duff and Phelps people. Um, there's something like 73 separate court cases uh, have gone on. And it, it also seems that, that Rangers, or, or perhaps Dave King uh, in, in the guise of Rangers, is, is seeking to just annoy the life out of Mike Ashley, which, which also appears to me to be a wee bit ill-advised. Now, when you're running any business, you know, the purpose of the business is, 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 the, is the underlying business. It's not to basically uh, fall out with everybody that you deal with. And it must be a major distraction. Uh, uh, certainly, it's a major cost. Uh, and in normal situations, it's, it's not something you would uh, want to do. But it is what it is. Rangers directors or the Rangers chairman or whoever makes these decisions obviously thinks they have a strong case each time, otherwise they won't challenge it. But uh, I just see it as a distraction to, to the underlying business of running a football club, you know, winning games, winning trophies. Uh, it takes up time, management time, uh, and uh, incurs a lot of legal expenses with uh, uncertain outcomes. And certainly in the instance of their... Uh, disagreements with uh, Mike Ashley and his companies, you know, they're fighting someone with uh, a lot of wealth uh, a lot, and a lot of resolve, so uh, it does look uh, very messy and very negative and uh, doesn't make, uh, you know, the company very attractive to invest in for, for most investors anyway. So, again, I think I've asked you this question in the past. If if you were hired as a consultant by the Rangers board to say let's let's try and get this show back in the road, get the get the train back in the rails again, what would your advice be? Well, my advice would be to uh, settle and move on. I mean, I have found myself in a similar situation like this in a non-football context. Uh, in the 1990s, you know, our business was uh, to grow a business, and I inherited about 30, 30 law cases. But before I could do anything meaningful with the company, I, I basically had to settle them, uh, dispose of them, get them out of the road in order to take the company forward. Uh, it'd be very difficult for Rangers to financially move forward with all these cost, uh, court cases uh, going on. However, you know, Rangers fans, you'll be less interested in that. Rangers fans, all they want is basically a, a successful football team. And all this business speak, you know, only has been limited value to them at the end of the day. Same with Celtic fans or any other football fans. They'll find a lot of what we're talking about. Some of them will find some of what we're talking about, you know, boring, you might even say, because it's very little to do with football. So all a football fan ever wants is a winning football team. And uh, they can put up with uh, 
court cases, distractions and off-field activities if, if, if the football team's winning. But if the football team's not winning, all, all, all this is just uh, a horrible distraction. Of course, you look at other clubs. Uh, I mean, I know that you've uh, got a special interest in, in Hibs that you have had in the past. And, uh, and they seem to be doing okay after a, a rocky spell. Uh, Hearts certainly have uh, made a big turnaround there. Aberdeen have uh, have uh, got their, uh, their books squared off as well. So the bigger clubs all appear to be in a healthy state. Now, all of those clubs other than Celtic and Rangers are, are, are in that lower income bracket, if you like, in terms of turnover. And yet they, they don't appear to have the same off-field problems as Rangers do. Well, one thing that all those clubs have got in common is stability. Uh, there is no uh, fractured uh, relationships and gratuitous infighting going on. Uh, with third parties that either, as far as I'm aware, Hibs, Hearts and Aberdeen, they have uh, ex- all have experienced boards. Uh, they all have uh, wealthy backing uh, and they are all doing as best they can do uh, and all have to be uh, challengers for the, legitimate challengers for the second spot. You know, Rangers, on the other hand, have got a conveyor belt of directors. You know, there's directors coming off, directors coming on, uh, fighting with the takeover panel, fighting in court, uh, trying to get special resolutions passed. Uh, I've lost track of the amount of directors they've had since they were founded in 2012. Uh, You know, none of this has anything to do with stability. Uh, You have to have a stable backdrop the other factor that's relevant is that the main man, the chairman, Dave King's non-resident, an absentee landlord. You know that's not very sensible. You have to really the man in charge or the man that has, wants to be in charge. You know would ordinarily or sensibly be based at the club, uh, same as uh, you know Fergus McCann was, for example, back in the day when he, he was at Celtic. Uh, so Rangers don't have that, and that's a problem. Uh, they don't have any executive directors on the board of the holding company, RIFC. You know, there's a lot of strange things uh, to be observed at Rangers. It doesn't mean they're bad things, but they're, they're strange things uh, or different things. And none of them really lend themselves to, uh, you know, helping helping them achieve their objectives. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think finally to move away from Rangers, that uh, while Steve King and, and his board are rewriting the rules of business, uh, what, what's the prospect in the in the, the short or medium term uh, for them to get the success that, that their fans expect? Well, it's very difficult, you know, as, as we said earlier, because their major competitor is Celtic, and Celtic have significantly more financial firepower than Rangers so they can afford to buy better players, uh, better coaches etc than than Rangers so that's the major impediment to uh, successful fulfilment of uh, of Rangers uh, objectives and there's no getting away from that fact and I think I said earlier you know money doesn't guarantee success but no money guarantees no success and Celtic have more money than Rangers, period. So, you know, Celtic have got that uh, economic advantage over Rangers. And, uh, you know, I think the league for the foreseeable future, the league championship, is Celtic's to lose because uh, I can't really see anybody else winning. 
uh, unless Celtic, through complacency or any sort of a disharmony, bad luck, injuries, whatever, these factors are all relevant, but the most important factor is uh, money. And in that respect, you know, Celtic are far ahead of everybody else in Scotland. Well, talking about Celtic, then I mean, obviously their their accounts look very good this year, but they also included a, a, another year of competing in the Champions League, which unfortunately for Celtic didn't happen this year. How do you think that the accounts will be affected next year materially by the failure to get into the Champions League this year? Well, obviously, uh, you know, player trading aside. Uh, and the financial year is only, uh, what is it, four months uh, or a third of the way into the current year. But financial trading aside, obviously the revenues will be lower because they failed to qualify for the group stages of the Champions League. But, you know, the balance sheet is so positive The cash in terms of the cash balance. Uh, there's a lot of flexibility in there. I don't really think uh, there's going to be any negative impact of any consequence uh, in, in not uh, being in the Champions League group stages this season. Revenues will be lower, but so will costs. And as I said, the balance sheet that Celtic's very strong, net cash in the bank, etc. So it, it won't be as good a financial year as, as the, the year before that. Uh, but I don't really think it'll make any difference to uh, the outcome of the, uh, the domestic trophies in the current year. Do you think that the the until recently anyway uh, on field and off field troubles at Celtic that were uh, so widely reported in the press? Do you think that any of that had something to do with the fact that there is a lack of competition for them? Well, yeah, I, I think uh, the lack of competition, you know, for Celtic is is very bad. You know, you always need a, a good sparring partner, you know, whatever your sport is. And I think, as I said earlier, certainly the league uh, for the years to come is only Celtics to lose. Uh, and the danger, I think, is complacency. You know, Celtic standards reverting to the average in Scotland rather than the others, uh, you know, approaching Celtic's level. Complacency, uh, I think, uh, as well as bad luck and things like that. But the, I'd rank complacency as uh, the number two factor behind money. If, if they're complacent or there's disharmony, uh, you know that's the problem, uh, the problem type problems that Celtic will encounter, and uh, you know I think uh, the complacency aspect is 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 a very serious uh, risk to to Celtic's continued domestic success. Uh, so maybe uh, the early season uh, problems that they had uh, could. Uh, reappear again in January or the close season. Basically, the league Celtics to lose. The, the problems that emerge, you know, I think will emerge from within Celtic rather than out with Celtic. But I'd rather be in Celtic's position than in than in Rangers' position. Yeah, well, well, I suppose so in, in, in terms of the money. But there's another development taking place at the moment as well. With we, we talk about uh, some elite European league being set up by the by the top day. Uh, dozen or so clubs, uh, of which Celtic obviously aren't one. Is that a threat to uh, the, the income stream that Celtic are, are, are hoping to tap into over the next few years? Well, yeah, I mean, we're living in a sort of times of uh, extreme technological advancement and change. I mean, a lot of the existing structures that have existed for the last, you know, 25 years. Uh, when did the Champions League start? Was it 1992? 
uh, you know, all, all these structures I think are, are ripe for change and challenge. Uh, television as well, linears moving out or, or, or falling by the wayside, linear delivery, uh, pay-per-views getting replaced with uh, monthly subscriptions, you know, Netflix, Amazon, Twitch, Facebook, they're now bidding for uh, sports rights in America. I think, uh, you know, that's going to reach Europe in a big way. Esports are also emerging as a, one of the biggest sports, if you can call it that, in the world. I mean, uh, what we're used to, I think, is uh, about to enter a period of substantial change. And somewhat ironically, I think that's a good thing for Celtic because current infrastructures really mean that there's no way that your Celtics, your Ajaxes, your Portos, your big fishies in the small ponds, uh, clubs with big reputations. Uh, I don't think there's any way they can really compete with sort of average clubs that uh, play in the Champions League simply because they've got a lot of television money. So I'd like to see these structures uh, broken up. Celtic are an important player in Europe, and uh, whilst they might not be in this breakaway league that you alluded to, uh, if indeed it happens, uh, I think they'll be there or thereabouts because they are well respected. They are represented at the highest level in Europe, and uh, you know they will have a say uh, in all of this. So I, I'm quite happy to see you know what we've been used to challenged because uh, it's too corporate now and it's too rich and uh, there's a lot of average teams that aren't champions playing in a league that uh, champions like Celtic and. In Porto, should, should naturally be in. So there will be change, and uh, hopefully that will be good for Scottish champions, uh, Dutch champions, Portuguese champions, etc. Would you just alluded to uh, to the the technological change that that has uh, taken place in in broadcasting and in sports with delivery over over the past few years? Do you think that the, the the current football authorities in general, but and more specifically in Scotland, are, are equipped for those challenges? Well, no, well not really. I, I, I don't really think the SFA is a professional organisation to be taken very seriously. Some of the decisions they've made are, uh, have been pretty absurd. And, uh, and, I mean, they're part of the UFA structure just now. So they'll go with the flow because they have to if you're part of a structure. But I don't think there's going to be any sort of a groundbreaking, uh, innovative uh, proposals for the future coming out of Scotland. Uh, any of the, the changes we're talking about or have been talking about in the last uh, few minutes or so, I think will be led by external factors like, you know, the Facebooks of the world and the Amazons of the world. Once they start flashing their checkbooks, you know, the big clubs probably for the wrong reasons, greed, you know, uh, will, will, may well be seduced uh, into, uh, you know, breaking away from a UFA structure. We don't really know. Money always talks, and I would not be surprised if, if uh, the structures that we're used to are, are challenged in a successful manner. This is how the Premier League in... Uh, 1992 in England started, and, uh, and similarly with Scotland in 1998. Uh, money appeared from over the horizon. The authorities said, oh, you can't do that. Oh, we'll take you to court. But uh, at the end of the day, money won. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it, money always talks. And uh, I think there will be change in the next few years. 
I'm also thinking about the the SFA in in terms of the that one of their uh, their prime responsibilities apart from uh, running the game, which obviously people at SFM don't think they do very well. Uh, but one of the prime responsibilities is is the national team. Uh, the national team has has been a, a car crash for a long long time. Uh, you know, a series of botched appointments, uh, a series of failures to to get to major tournaments. And they they appear to be resisting any kind of introspection uh, at all. There was a call from Celtic a few months ago for a for a root and branch review uh, to the financial meltdown uh, of Rangers and its consequences for Scottish football, and and they they they've completely uh, walked away from that. What what's your view of uh, of their failure to to be accountable and to show uh, show a wee bit of transparency? Well, uh, uh, I think you'll find that most self-regulating bodies, whether it's the, the SFA, UFA, the police, the Catholic Church, you know, if, when you're policing yourself, you know, you, you can get all, you, you can, uh, you usually have less transparency and uh, wrong decisions. Uh, you have to be accountable uh, to get transparency and visibility of decisions, and you certainly don't have that at the SFA. Uh, so I'm not really sure you can say much more than that other than, you know, they're not exactly uh, leaders in innovation. Uh, the problems that Rangers had in 2012, you know, was pretty unprecedented. Uh, you know, Rangers get special treatment because they're one of the biggest clubs. You know, something similar happened to Livingston, you know, who, who uh, I think were treated, uh, you know, very poorly. Uh but at the end of the day, you know, Rangers are a, a big fish in a small pond. The money that uh, their fans bring to the game means that, uh, you know, they really were wanted at the, the highest level. And had there not been the, the insurrection, if we can call it that, you know, that's exactly where they would have been uh, when the, the, you know, the previous club was liquidated. Yeah, what you're saying there is that that said that the the insurrection of the fans because they were appalled at the idea that the that the new club might be allowed into the SPL. Yeah, basically yes. I mean, I think uh, the SFA and the SPL, as it was called at the time, would have gladly had uh, the new club uh, parachuted into the top league, had it not been for the unexpected, unanticipated insurrection of several club chairmen and several clubs' fans. And even the default position, if we can't get them into the top league, we'll get them into the next league. Even that was challenged and failed. So uh, I think there was uh, a lot of uh, disappointment amongst the powers that be when uh, Rangers ended up in the fourth tier. But a... it's all about economics, isn't it? At the, at the end of the day, uh, the, the Rangers pound, the Celtic pound, you know, brings a lot to the game. And, you know, that was uh, to the extent that, and I think it's true to say, you know, the, the Scottish games would have less money with, with, without Rangers. So there always had to be an accommodation. Uh, and it was never going to be straightforward. And it was always going to be controversial. And indeed, it remains controversial. And a lot of football fans are... St- still arguing about it just now and we'll no doubt be arguing about it for decades to come but I'm not going to say any more than that. 
Well, well, especially if the SFA refused to uh, to to look at the thing in a, in a, in a kind of objective manner, but still, uh, I know I know you're you're off to the basketball uh, to your your second love, Glasgow Rocks uh, today. But but uh, just before you go, and I don't want to get involved in the too much in, in the Neil Lennon thing or uh, or the Hearts goalkeeper being being assaulted at at uh, Tynecastle last week, uh, but. It, what that that situation has done is uh, it's uh, it's seen calls again for strict liability. What's your position in that? Well, at, at the end of the day, you know, football clubs can't control their fans, so uh, I'm against it. At the end of the day, I'd be in favour of all the CCTV we've got identifying the individual culprits and the individual culprits being sanctioned in the most serious way. Uh, I think that's that that works. So if somebody wants to uh, throw a coin or punch a player and gets caught, you know, not only should they uh, you know, be banned from football for life, they should uh, severe criminal penalty should be applied upon them. So that's the way I would look at it. But that's just my opinion. Everybody else will have their, their own opinion. I think that debate's just started as well, David. But 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 listen, thanks a lot uh, for taking time out to speak to us today and. Uh, Hopefully we'll speak again soon. Well, that's it for TWM this week. Next time, I hope to be talking about one of the issues I raised briefly with David, that of James Dorman's strict liability bill, which is currently a consultative paper before the Scottish Parliament. For now, though, thanks again to David Lowe for shedding some light on the financial darkness and to you for listening. And to the SFM community for continuing to provide the most insightful commentary on our game available to fans of football everywhere. I'm John Cole. Have a great week.